Let's just pray before I start. Lord, guide my words and our thoughts to be pleasing and honouring to you. Amen. Um, We left Fitzroy a long time ago in 1997. We spent two years at All Nations. We were only meant to spend one, but Stephen loved it so much that we spent two. And then we went to live and work in Jordan in the Middle East with two kids under three and a bump. I promised I wouldn't put up any photographs of them. (laughs) I'm going to stick to my promise. (laughs) Jordan was an old and very exciting place to live. We watched as it became a very modern city and we grew up with it as did our kids. We felt very honoured to be part of Fitzroy and to be supported by you in Jordan. Today I want to share with you a few things that I learned about the women in Jordan and more widely in the Middle East. One of the joys of living in Jordan was seeing the stories of the Bible come to life in the culture around us. I loved looking out and watching as the stories from the Old and New Testament came alive for me. We used to drive out in the morning to school and as we were driving out um, we would see shepherds. Most of them rode a donkey and most of them rode that donkey in front of the sheep which was a very strange thing for somebody coming from Northern Ireland who's used to seeing the shepherd at the back. And they were followed quietly by a very long string of sheep in the middle of the road that we were trying to get through. The other thing that I particularly enjoyed was meeting and visiting women. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. I did it all wrong for about the first six years and didn't know about it. I kept doing it wrong but at least I knew I was doing it wrong. There are a lot of traditions in Jordan whenever it comes to visiting. The other thing that I really loved was worshipping with our church in Jordan. And today I want to share with you one of the stories from the Bible. In his book um, Kenneth Bailey says that Middle Eastern Christians have been, forgot, have been called the forgotten faithful. Few are aware of the existence today of more than 10 million Arabic-speaking Christians who possess a rich heritage of ancient and modern literature. These Christians are a people who live, breathe, think, act, and participate in Middle Eastern culture Their voices, ancient and modern, need to be heard in biblical studies. I learned a wealth from my Christian sisters, Arabic sisters, about the Bible, simply because they lived many of the traditions and cultures that we could see in the stories. I'd like to read with you today a story from the Bible that you all know. So it's going to be very difficult for you 
to try and see it through Middle Eastern eyes. But I really want you to try. So come with me to a Middle Eastern house to uh, get together. They love food almost as much as we do. They love entertaining almost as much as we do. And here's the story. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She'd heard him before. This story assumes that before the drama begins, the woman had heard Jesus. She'd heard his message of grace for sinners. She'd heard and was deeply moved. She believed. She repented. She wanted to bring her thanks and confirm her forgiveness, her salvation. She was not honourable, and everyone knew. Jordan society is tribal. Families are linked by marriage and blood to a tribe that still has a land base. The tribe divides into families who take their importance from their tribe, 
their family name, their tribe's reputation. Everyone recognizes the power of a tribe or a family. It's the first question you're asked. Min bait mean. Where are you from? Who's your family? I remember chatting to a young man who had told us that there was a particular girl in his work that he was really sweet on, but that there was no way he was going to approach her. And I said, why is that? And he said, her tribe is out of my tribe's league. The ramifications of this social structure are both positive and negative. Those who stay within the bounds and expectations of their family and tribe are protected, supported, cared for. Those who don't find themselves ostracized, in isolation and in trouble. Many women feel the benefit of the protection of family and tribe and are successful businesswomen, teachers, doctors. But they are always conscious of their circle of relations, of their duty to family and tribe. In rural areas or poorer families, this protection is even more spatial. And an organization that we knew began working with girls who were shut in, shut in their own homes. From about 11 or 12, they were kept at home in their village. They didn't go out until they became of marriageable age and then they moved to their husband's home to start their own family. Protection. Many decisions are taken on behalf of the tribe and its families that are beneficial. A group of elders of the tribe are called together to agree marriages between families and tribes. If trouble occurs in the marriage, this group may come together to mediate and intervene and heal. However, the place of women in Jordanian society can be very difficult and dangerous. Rana Husseini, herself a Jordanian woman, says in her book, Jordanian society blames women for everything, for being harassed on the streets, for philandering husbands, for husbands who divorce them, for bearing a child of the wrong gender. The list is endless. Rana has written a book highlighting the plight of women who are killed to protect their family's honour. And her aim is to tell the stories of these women. She says, it's simple. Pictures of the victims need to be shown and family members and friends interviewed to humanise the victim. Sadly, it will take some time to change the laws and the way people think about these things. But Rana is only one, one woman of many who are campaigning to make a difference. The woman in our story was an outsider, sinful, shamed, not welcome, slandered, 
It must have been an awful existence. She would not have relished any attention at all in her village. She would have been quiet. She would have stayed at home. But something had changed for her. And she was willing to risk being spat upon, being pushed, being pointed at, creating a scene. Willing to risk that to see Jesus and to bring him her gift. She had been deeply changed hearing that God loved and accepted her. Imagine listening to Jesus saying those words. Her heart must have been thrilled. A different life was possible. And she was responding in adoration and love with a costly and extravagant action. She was making herself visible to the crowd, open to abuse and ridicule. And then we've got the perfume. I went to visit a friend. We had just moved house. And Rania popped her head through the um, uh, hedge in the garden and invited me to her house. And so I went. And my Arabic was worse than her English, so it was a, a slow getting to know one another. But we drank coffee and we talked about our families. Her husband was a doctor. She had three children and an older boy who obviously would be a doctor. He was finding studying difficult and she was very worried that he would not make the grade. As we came to the end of of a morning of chatter, she said to me, she became very excited and she said that she had something to show me. It was something very important. Something that nobody else had. Well, not many people. Something that her cousin had brought back from uh, Saudi Arabia for her, something that she wouldn't use all the time, that was very special, and she wanted to show it to me. And so she opened a box, and she brought out a small jar about this size. Of course, the bells started ringing, and I thought, I know what this is. This is perfume. What I wasn't prepared for was her opening the top of this small bottle. The perfume filled the room that we were in. It was dense and heavy and and lovely, but very striking. And the consistency inside the bottle was a bit like Vaseline, and nothing would do her, but she would put some on my wrists. And then she was very expressive, and she wanted to put some on my neck, but I knew that if she did that, I, I, I would stop breathing. It was just so overpowering. And so in my best Arabic, I tried to explain that really we weren't used to this. We were used to lighter fragrances, and this was going to do me for at least three months, I was sure. But it was very special. Perfume in Jordan is a very special, wonderful thing. It's wonderful to walk through the city streets and as you pass people, you smell the perfume. It's something they call oud, which I'm sure some of you know about, and um, 
In days gone by, they used to burn it. So they would have had a little jar and they would have put this burning um, like wood on the top and the smoke would come off. Uh, if you Google it, you will see a very impressive little show of burning wood, Middle Eastern perfume. It's lovely. Um, and with their long robes, the ladies would have put this on the ground, and as you came in to visit, you would step over it with your long robes, and you would kind of stand over it and waft it so that the, the fragrance filled you, filled your clothes, and that would last at least a day. What this woman did was costly. Her action was costly, and her perfume was extravagant. It would not be easily hidden. If the guests had not already seen her, believe me, the smell would demand attention and chatter. And she did not care. She wanted to honour Jesus as he had not been honoured. When was the last time that we worshipped like that? Honour is extremely important in Jordanian society and maintaining one's honour is a strong force that keeps communities and tribes and families together. In Bedouin culture, hospitality is bound closely with honour. Treating guests with respect brings honour to the host. All the more shocking then Simon's lack of traditional courtesies and greetings. Yet another thing that was very difficult to get used to. In Northern Ireland, when you see somebody you know, you'll give them a nod. What you don't do is go over, kiss them on both cheeks and shake their hands soundly. It took some getting used to. The first thing that we learned in school in Arabic was a range of greetings, all of which had responses, which we needed to know and be able to give back. One of the simple ones was you would say hello to somebody, marhaba. And then you would say, Marhabtain, back, which means two hellos back to you. Really like Irish, isn't it? And I got very used to it. I loved it when we went into ladies' meetings, for example. Even if there were 20 people in the room, you would go round and greet and kiss each one on the cheek. Can you imagine? People came late all the time. Is it any wonder the meetings didn't start for about 40 minutes? We'd been living, and I was used to the culture um, uh, for about eight years, and I went to visit some English friends. And as I came in, I noticed that Richard had a Jordanian gentleman visiting him. And I thought, that's fine. The usual way of doing it is he'll introduce me, I'll say hello, and then Karen and I will go off and have coffee in the kitchen. So I came in, and Richard introduced me to his guest, and I went across... And very deliberately, he put his hand on his chest and stepped back. And he said, in our culture, we don't greet women. And I knew that not to be true. I don't think I have ever felt so hurt or rejected in my entire life. Back to our story. Jesus in this story, as Simon said, should not have allowed 
this woman to touch him. He would have been quite within his rights. Jesus allowed the woman to touch him, much to Simon's disgust. He did not reject her or pull his feet away. In Fitzroy, our welcome teams are part of our Sunday services, a vital part, greeting old and new alike. It makes a difference to the whole service. I don't know if we'll ever get to the whole kissing thing. But in our own homes and work, do we take greeting people seriously? Jesus had been purposely and intentionally slighted by Simon, quite within his rights to leave. Quite within his rights. I'm obviously not welcome here. But he didn't do that. His response was even more shocking. He entered and reclined. Kenneth Bailey says that he took the place of the elder who reclines first. He took the place of authority and no one challenged him. Jesus then challenged Simon using a parable. Jesus not ignoring Simon's insult. He is also a sinner who is forgiven. But then Jesus openly, in front of all of the guests, attacks the quality of hospitality. Simon has been ignoring the woman, but Jesus draws her attention, sorry, draws his attention to her and to her actions. He defends her openly and with a costly demonstration of his love and acceptance of her, he defended her. He confirmed her. He created a space for her in his community of followers. Jesus is the light of our world. And I love this particular passage because for me, it helps me to see Jesus as the light in our world. Sometimes we think of a candle drawing us to this quiet time of worship. But even this passage challenges that. For that woman's worship was extremely costly. Sometimes we think of an electric light showing up the defects and the defeats and our sin. But sometimes we glimpse an even bigger light. Jesus is the light of our eternity. We are forgiven, accepted, transformed to begin our eternal lives now. As men and women of God, let us hear his love and compassion for us and for our world. And let us go in peace.